And uh, let's start with 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be eventually going to Revelation 20, which was our scripture. I am uh, doing a series, as you know, on, this, on God's justice system. And the first one was Memorial Day as we looked at how uh, God carries out justice nationally. And we focused that day simply when, in this realm. And I want to remind you, and there's very clear scriptural evidence this is the case, that God is, on Judgment Day, which we're going to talk about today, God will judge individuals in eternity. He does not, he will not resurrect, you know, the ancient Greek empire, or the Roman empire, or, uh, you know, the, the, um, the Nordic, you know, just he's not going to revive an old, old nation that used to be and judge them. He judges nations in the here and now. And that's such an important point that um, we need to get hold of that because, you know, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we are not guaranteed that America is going to go on indefinitely. And the more arrogant and self-dependent, independent of God that we are, uh, and the, the more we ignore His his ways, uh, the more we provoke him. And so we need to be praying that God will have mercy on America. But uh, last Sunday we, I think it was message two, the supreme judge. God is the judge. And we looked at Genesis chapter 18. God was getting ready to judge a, a nation or cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and the, the cities of the plain. And Abraham began to intercede. And I love that that situation there, where Abraham begins to pray for mercy. Now his, his, you know, Lot, his relative and his family is living in these cities that God is getting ready to judge. And, and Moses, or Abraham, excuse me, very boldly begins to intervene and say, Lord, will you spare this, these cities if there's just 50 righteous that in and of itself is an amazing thing. When God is ready to judge, He's being provoked. But what a message that is for us to today. Those of us that sense, unlike most Americans, that the God of creation and the God of heaven and the God of the world is being provoked by our country and our behavior, and we sense the danger we are in, they don't, like Abraham, he was the one that sensed the danger. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain had no idea that God was getting ready to judge them. And so Abraham began to intercede. We need to intercede for America. How do you go about that? Lord, if there's 50 righteous, you know, I, I don't know. But I do know that Abraham boldly asked for 50, then 45, then 40, all the way down to 10. And, and he did not do it in an arrogant way. He was talking to the judge of all the earth. And in that statement, as he was appealing that God would not destroy the righteous with the wicked, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's a great... And, and I assure you folks, and he knew it. In fact, he wasn't saying, he wasn't questioning whether, first of all, he wasn't questioning whether God was the judge of all the earth. He knew that. And he wasn't questioning whether God would not do right. He was appealing based on who he knew the God of all the earth was, that he was a just God. But he was also merciful. That's the same God we have. 
And uh, we don't want, you know, Abraham wasn't necessarily praying for the justice part. Like, I can't wait till you zap Sodom and Gomorrah. He was praying for mercy, and we need to pray for that for America too. Definitely. But 1 Peter 2, is that where I told you to turn? 1 Peter 2. I want to remind you that in verses 13 and 14, Peter, we learn, and let me just remind you from last Sunday, God has given human government. It's important that in Romans chapter 13, I'll quote that in a minute, but it says submit, you know, that, that we are to submit ourselves to the powers that be. The powers that be are ordained of God. God has given to people the responsibility to the best of their ability to secure civil peace, to punish evil, to reward good. Law enforcement. And look what he says Peter says in 1 Peter 2.13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now that's not a blanket statement. It's not, you know what, just, just obey what all your leaders say, no matter what they say. Just blindly obey. No, it says, for the Lord's sake. No, There's no absolute authority but a God. And if any human authority were to tell you to do something contrary to the clear commands of Scripture... As they did in the New Testament, Peter, the one that wrote this, he was told, you can't preach in the name of Jesus. And he defied the government. He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So that's the idea of the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are... So here, in this verse, it tells us, The purpose of government, according to God. He's the one that established government, by the way. They are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Any government that's worth their salt understands and follows the jurisdictions that God gave them. God never gives any human being or any body of people absolute authority. There's always jurisdiction. There's always boundaries. And you and I have to understand those boundaries because if we're asked to cross them, we have to obey God rather than men. Listen to what Paul said in in Romans 13, verses 3 and 4. He said, Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now we could say, Oh, really? Why didn't anyone tell Nero that? He killed Paul. And, and the first century church. This is not saying that all rulers are going to fulfill their responsibility. In fact, Nero and many others since then, Hitler, Mussolini, I mean, you get, there's such great abuse of power. But understand, to those whom God delegates, they will answer. Now again, God is not going to resurrect Nazi Germany on Judgment Day But God is going to resurrect Hitler and every single one of them. And they're going to answer for their individual deeds. Thankfully. Again, he says, Paul says in Romans 13, 3 and 4, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. And that's the idea is they're not supposed to be. He says, do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. You should have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. See, this is... Delegate, this is stewardship, folks. Even unsaved people. 
that have positions of authority are going to answer to God. It says, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. God has delegated powers to punish. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So good governments punish evil lawbreakers that violate your freedoms. At least they're supposed to. So we talked about the fact that God is the judge last week. And we looked at what is a judge. Uh, The word judge, along with uh, judicial, jurisdiction, all these terms come from Latin. And it has the idea literally, uh, the word judge literally means to pronounce the law or pronounce right. Someone who is a judge is given the authority to be able to pronounce sentence on actions of what's right and wrong. And historically, when God punishes a nation, He will give them bad judges and bad leaders. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar, God said, He's my servant. Well, He was not a God. He was not a godly man. He violated everything that God gave him. But God was saying, He's my tool. I'm going to, don't worry. King's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Even the wicked king that doesn't pray once in his life, his heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turns it however so ever, whithersoever he will. In other words, God would use Nebuchadnezzar and Assyria and Syria and others to punish Israel in the here and now. So the, the word judge, it's a noun and it's a verb. As a noun, it is refers to someone, a person. First definition of the word judge is a noun, a civil officer who is invested with authority to hear and determine cases. The law, what's right. The second definition, Noah Webster, of judge is the supreme being. Don't forget that. That's that's where Abraham, that prayer in, in Genesis 18, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. And and I wrote it down, I forget where it is, but there's another verse also that calls him God the judge of all. all. He, is, he is the supreme judge. The verb, so the you know there's the judge, the person, and then there's the act of judging, the verb, it is to um, to hear and determine, as in causes cases on trial to pass sentence. So the supreme judge is going to hear cases. We looked at... In fact, take your Bibles. Acts chapter 19. Why don't you look at Acts chapter 19. There's a situation where there was a, a community gathering in a particular city and or town in Acts chapter 19 and civil unrest began to take place uh, because people's passions were involved and they got very emotionally charged and pretty soon there was almost a riot and the town clerk the name the city is Ephesus by the way the whole city was filled with confusion by the way it was because people were preaching the gospel and then the town clerk sees the people literally in the the, the unrest they were it, it was like you had a riot going on here 
And the town clerk stands up in Acts chapter 19 and verse 40. And he says, For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. He said, listen, we're going to have to answer to this. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. What? Now look at the wording here. The town clerk realized that there is going to be an accountability for, your, for the actions of what goes on here. And he was reminding everyone, listen, we are people that are accountable. Now, obviously this would be true on Judgment Day in the end, but he wasn't talking about Judgment Day. He was talking about the here and now and the earthly authorities. And he's saying, listen, you've got to think about what you're doing here. And by the way, this was a very effective exhortation because it brought peace to a situation that was about ready to get out of hand. And again, look what he said, verse 40. We are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, civil unrest. There being no cause whereby we may give an account for this concourse. Reckoning. That's this, this whole verse is all about reckoning. It's the fact that you and I are going to have to answer. Everyone's going to have to answer, not just in the here and now, because we've already seen it. Perfect justice does not take place on this side of heaven, does it? Unfortunately. Now, it is a blessing when you have civil authorities that are conscientious people that want to do right and, and will punish evildoers, especially when you're on the receiving end. But it doesn't always happen, does it? Unfortunately. Uh, good or Bad people get away with doing Bad things, good people sometimes suffer for, for doing good and not doing bad. But the fact that there is going to be a supreme judgment is so important. So very important. I remember years ago when we had the prison ministry at our local prison um, that... I had the opportunity to, I had the opportunity to meet quite a few characters. And uh, some of them were in the news in our local area because of the, the crimes that they did. And there was a man that was uh, on trial. His daughter, there was, he was uh, in a battle, a court, uh, you know, a dispute. His, he and his wife, I think, were either divorced or separated. And there was a custody battle over the child. And it's so sad when when children become involved in the marital disputes, it's just heartbreaking. And all of a sudden, the, the daughter disappeared. And the authorities were convinced. They, knew, they thought that he had something to do with it. And his story was that, you know, well, he had some anonymous lady that, that he met somewhere that was going to take the child because the mother was unfit and so they met, and he gave his daughter to her so she'd have a better life. That was the story. They never found a body, but they're so convinced that they tr- charged him with murder. And um, while the trial was going on, he would attend our Bible study. And I remember specifically, uh, you know, I, I said an appointment he wanted to meet with me. And so I set it up, and I met with him for two hours, and I just let him talk. You folks know that I am a softy, right? You know that. So I will never forget. I'm sitting here talking to this guy. And 
And this has happened before. Oh, I wish I was not so gullible. I used to pick on my younger sister for being gullible. If she only knew who I am, she'd be like, Steve, I'm not gullible. You're the gullible one. She could do that. In fact, if she ever gets hold of this little message part, she could use this against me. Um, So I'm listening to him, and I'm I'm starting to buy it. I'm like, maybe... Maybe he was just concerned about his daughter. And I mean, the, and I had already been, I think the trial, part of the trial had gone on. And, but I remember coming home to my wife. God bless her. I came home and I told her, you know, I'm like, I think, I think he may. And she knew enough about the story because it was in the paper and I told her. And I said, I th- I, you know, I think he might. And so she, I remember, never forget this. She just asked like three questions. I don't even remember what the questions were. But she's like, oh, okay, well, what about this? And it stopped me in my tracks. Uh, uh, and all she did, three or four questions that she asked me. And all of a sudden, it caused me to step back. And I'm like, he did it. He did it, no doubt, you know. It's like, why do I do that? I'm so gullible, you know. But it's the questioning. You know, the truth. In fact, don't ever forget this. We were recently going over this. Truth never fears being questioned. Never. In fact, food, food, truth welcomes questioning so that the truth can be established. When you see someone that is threatened or intimidated or reacts when they are challenged, that's like a big red flag right there, folks. Truth welcomes questioning. And, and sometimes all it takes is a couple good questions to lay out the truth that can't be answered. The questions are great. They really are. Keep that in mind, in fact, because um, Jesus used that ability. So let's, let's think now, as we go forward, we're going to look at our, the, the American criminal justice system, which as you look at our founding fathers, uh, you would not know it based on the public school system, if that's how you were brought up, as I were. But if you're familiar with, and you read primary sources of, from our founders and their writings, and they are... Numerous. Our founding fathers were God-fearing people. They weren't all born again, but a lot of them were. And they held the scriptures in high esteem. And when they debated the Federalist Papers and all the things for our Constitution, there were so many scriptures. The Bible was one of them. In, in the debates in our, from our founding era, like the Constitutional Convention and others, there were two books. The, the, the most quoted book of all by our founding fathers was the Scriptures. The next one was Blackstone's Commentaries, which also quotes Scripture and is founded on Scripture. But you would not know that if you were part of the public school system. But our founders sought the Scriptures and the Lord when they set up our criminal justice system initially. Now remember... You're talking about human beings given authority to rule other human beings. It's going to be imperfect. Even if you have a good system, understand that. When you've got sinners, the man, every single one of us, the hardest deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So think of the basic layout of how our criminal justice system is run based on God's criminal justice system. Number one, first somebody is caught or detained. If you're going to establish justice, 
the evildoers must be stopped. They must be identified. And so you have someone detained, then you have them caught, then you put them in jail, awaiting for their trial, and in due process, this is a very very important thing, due process, a person was innocent until proven guilty. So they got a, a, a trial date, and then, then they would have the trial, then there would be the verdict, the sentencing, and then punishment. You know what's interesting? God's justice system is very much like that. There is, first of all, the, the being detained. You know, when, when you and I die, the person who is going to be held accountable for their sinful criminal activity is put in a waiting cell. And it's called hell. And hell is not the end. As we see here in Revelation chapter 20. In fact, let's turn to Revelation 20. If you're not there yet. There is coming a day of reckoning, folks. In fact, it is the ultimate day of reckoning. It is the supreme Judgment. And it's where all sinners, and I I use that word in quotes, because once I'm done laying out this truth, you'll see there is a plan B. There's a way to escape the justice that you deserve. But there is a major day of reckoning, folks. And so people that die that will be accountable for their sins, they've not had that dealt with before the throne of God, Uh, they are placed in a holding cell. And the Bible says there will be coming a time where they'll have a trial. And that's the great white throne judgment. That is the trial where men and women will face. Um, In fact, Hebrews 4.13, I've quoted that. It says, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Everybody. Everybody is, is, is going to answer to the God for whom all things, naked and open. There's nothing that's going to be hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So let's look at Revelation chapter 20. John says in, in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So who's going to be there? John says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Here's how it's written in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You and I have an appointment with death. And what comes after death is the judgment. It's certain. So this, all the dead... By the way, it's just amazing that John says, I saw the dead, small and great, famous people, 
big time famous people are going to be there. People you never even heard of, small and great, wonderful people of great stature are going to be there. The sea. You know, sometimes people think that people, if they're, if they're lost at sea and they're, you know, the, the, wild, the animal marine life destroys their body, that they're not going to be resurrected. Some, sometimes people fear that, you know, cremation people are, oh no, that they're going to avoid the judgment that way. Folks, every single person that's been alive is going to be resurrected. And on judgment day, those who have not had justice in the, before the courtroom of God, that will be their time. That will be their time. It is, please understand, every single person that is at this throne has the same destination. And if you look at it, verse 13, the middle of the verse, they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is their sentencing, folks. Hell, as we know it now, is a holding cell, awaiting for their trial. On that trial, they'll be resurrected from, from hell, those that, that died without Christ. They're going to stand before a holy bar, the holy throne of heaven, and every single person that is at the great white throne judgment, is going to be cast into what's called the lake of fire, which is distinct from hell. Look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's talk about this day for a few minutes. Because there is going to be what I will call judgment day retorts. Now we know this from the scriptures. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 37, Jesus said, By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Here's what we know is going to happen. On judgment day, there are going to be people that are at this throne, they're going to try to give a response, a retort. In fact, it tells us in Revelation or Romans 3.19 that on this day, every mouth will be stopped. And the implication is there's going to be people that are responding. In fact, we learn in Matthew 25, several places, there's going to be people that are going to respond to God and say, when did this ever happen? You know, where saw we thee? And then like four, five or six times throughout that, there apparently is going to be an interchange on Judgment Day where the accusation is made by the judge and then the people are going to be like, talk about gaslighting, we talked about that, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? I'm convinced. Remember when Jesus, again, Jesus said, by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. I'm convinced on that day, although... We are going to be judged according to the books, the, the Word of God, and the books, people's works. But I believe part of their works is their words. And I'm convinced that every one of us condemns ourselves by our own words. Think how many people charge God when something goes wrong and they say, how could, if there is a God, how could He let that happen? 
I mean, we are constantly... There is this sense in every human being that justice needs to take place. How many times have you, even as a Christian, said, that's just not right? And you've, you've put your finger and you've pointed condemnation and maybe you've even blamed God. Like, if there was a God in heaven, how could he allow... And we constantly do that kind of thing. I'm convinced of it. How many times have you looked at someone or heard about someone else's actions and you said, you know, that's just not right. That should not be allowed to happen. But you know what I'm convinced? Remember David? When Nathan came to him and shared the cutesy little story about a a lamb and all that. Those kind of things. I think our own words can come back to haunt us. Times where we've indignantly pointed and cast a finger at someone and said, this is wrong. And God is up there saying, you do the very same thing. Seriously. And, And I'm convinced... Knowing there's going to be retorts going on, there's going to, you know, every mouse going to be stopped. There's going to be people that are going to be trying to make a defense. I think that our own words are enough to condemn us and show us that we ourselves are guilty. So John sees the dead stand before God, and they are judged. And sadly, everyone at this judgment, is cast into hell. The dead, small and great. How do you avoid it? I want to close with this. There is a way to escape the great white throne judgment. And it was another place that judgment fell. And it was hell for the person that was on the receiving end. It's called Calvary. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God the Father made God the Son, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. He didn't know any sin. Jesus Christ is the only innocent person that has ever been born or ever will be born of, of a woman. He made him to be sin for us. Who know no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Folks, that's our escape from the great way throne judgment. The fire of God's wrath fell on Calvary when Jesus hung on that cross. He was literally, He became sin for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. All our sin, folks, was put on Him. He bore the penalty that I deserve, that you deserve. So that you and I don't have to face that great white throne. And by the way, folks, justice for you doesn't need to be God's final justice at the great white throne if you'll allow it to be at Calvary. Jesus Christ died. 1 John chapter 2 says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, speaking of Jesus, and he is the propitiation. That's a word which literally means the satisfaction, the judgment, the satisfies God's righteous demands. He is the propitiation, not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. If you see, if you can picture Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you, think of all the bad things you've ever done. You want to stand and answer for that on judgment day? 
I don't, or I'm done. But when Jesus hung on the cross, he literally became sin for us. And all we need to do is repent and believe on him. That's how simple it is, folks. We need to, first of all, admit there's so many people that will never get to that point where they see themselves as guilty before God. By the way, Romans 3, and I'll close with this. It says, We know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. What's the purpose of the law? Why did God give us those Ten Commandments like don't kill, don't lust, don't commit adultery, don't be angry with your brother, don't steal, don't covet? Why did He do that? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. If you, if you live your whole life on this earth, you never see yourself as a guilty sinner, you will be at the great way throne judgment. But if you will allow... Jesus Christ, who died in your place. If you can just see Him, He bore your sins in His body. And all you need to do is cry out for mercy. Cry out. We talked about that this morning. Just crying out for mercy. You're a guilty sinner. Remember the publican is who we looked at. He was in a synagogue, a temple, couldn't even look up to heaven. And there's a religious guy there that had no problem just confident as anything, boasting of all the good things he did. And there was this guy way off in the corner, couldn't even look up to heaven, he just was so remorseful, he just cried out, be merciful to me. Jesus said, that, one, that man went down to his house justified. You cry out to God today to save your soul as a wicked sinner, and because of Calvary, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You cry out to God. Jesus said, he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your justice. And Father, we we are grateful that you are going to make things just. But we are not gloating in how everybody else is going to be suffering for the wrong that they've done for us. But we're mindful of our own unworthiness in the great conspiracy of sin, that we have sinned against you. Father, perhaps there are some listening today or with us that have not been saved as we sang just a few minutes ago. Saved by the blood. And I pray, Father, that those folks would come to see themselves. Maybe they've just been pointing fingers at everyone around them and blaming everyone else for all that's wrong. Help them to take their eyes off of others and look inwardly to see their own sin but to realize that a precious heavenly Savior came to pay their penalty so they would not have to face your judgment. Father, I pray that many listening and uh, many in that condition would see themselves as sinners and they would not try to come to you religiously, that they would realize that they can't bring anything to you and offer to appease you, that they must come empty-handed and accept only what Christ did. So, Father, I pray that many would be calling out to you to save their souls. And I thank you that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and that he that comes to you will in, you will in no wise cast out. I pray that you would save souls today that come to you with simple faith. Lord, we ask your blessing 
In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.